writing from Ephesus around A.D. 100. And by now, Christ has been resurrected and ascended for years. And the gospel has spread to the surrounding areas. The gospel accounts have gone out. These churches have been established. And the glory and wonder of that is starting to, to wear off for people. And maybe you have an experience where you can relate to that, this idea of this faith that has been really new and fresh, it starts to kind of become a habit and a thing you do. And so this is where John is writing from. And that fresh new believer excitement is calming down. One writer says that John is writing at a time when, for some at least, the first thrill was gone and the flame of devotion had died to a flicker. So he writes the call the church is back to solid teaching, to the gospel that they already know, but also, as we'll see in the coming weeks, to give them some assurance that this is the path, the truth, and that they're on it, that they found life. So we're going to read First John uh, verses one, well, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, would you speak to us and teach us? We recognize that this is your word. So, Father, would none of the words be mine? Would you encourage us and convict us? Would you mold our hearts to look more like yours? In Jesus' name, amen. Like I was saying, I love this letter from John because I resonate with him as a writer quite a bit. So once you read the Gospel of John you realize that John is kind of a more emotional writer than other writers in the New Testament, especially more than Paul. And uh, I kind of go, oh yeah, I resonate with him. He's connected to community. He's connected to a relationship. He calls us back to that quite a bit. And it's funny the things you pick up from reading someone's writing, the things you pick up about the person. And it's kind of like as you hear me teach, over the years you're going to learn some things about me. Um, in fact, you're going to pick up on the fact that when I get excited, I talk faster and some of you might have to give me like one of these to slow me down. Uh, I love when my mom comes to hear me, hears me speak because English is her second language. And so if she's looking at me mad, it's because I'm speaking too quickly for her to translate and I've, I've got to slow it down, right? Or I'll tell a lot of illustrations and never reach the point and you'll realize that I have rampant ADHD <laughs> or as I like to call it, ADOP, attention deficit, ooh, pretty, right? <laughs> You'll also pick up on the fact that I love to talk about my friends and my family. I'll mention the people in my life quite a bit. And people start to get confused. The longer they know me, the more confusing my relationships become. Because I'll tell you a story where I mentioned being an only child. And then I'll also say like three different stories about brothers I have. And you're like, which, what is happening? What's, and, and you know, I've picked up some spiritual family along the way. Uh, but you know, you'll hear all sorts of stories. Like the time my, my brother Jack took us the wrong way hiking Hurricane Ridge out in Washington State and we almost fell off a mountain. Like, almost fall off a mountain, I mean almost fell off the mountain. And uh, in fact, I, I tend not to tell these stories at home because my mom thinks I'm going to die every time I leave the house. And so sometimes my mom will come to my sermons just to hear what's happened on these hiking trips. 
But really, I love to talk about the people I love, and largely because I love to introduce the people I love to each other. You'll, you'll see me bring friends around. You'll see me be like, this is so-and-so, and, and make connections. It's, it's one of my favorite things in the world. And I see so much of this in the way John writes, which is why I connect with him so much. In fact, he doesn't even start his letter with a formal greeting. If you read Paul's letters, there's a lot of formal greetings, a lot of formalities he goes through. He closes out a certain way. John is so excited, he doesn't do any of that. In fact, he doesn't reach the end of a sentence until verse 3. English, English teachers are just furious with him for his run-on sentences, right? But he jumps right to the point, and he has a lot to say. He uses inclusive, informal language because he wants to build a bridge between himself and the churches. You'll see him, you'll notice in, uh, in what we're reading today, he uses we a lot, referring to himself, but also calling back that he belongs to this body of disciples that walked with Jesus. And so even there, building relationship. And then, a few verses later, he switches to a different we. We're not going to get into it today, but next week you'll see he uses a we, replying to we, the church. And so all his language loses formality and builds connection. He wants to make sure in this account that people know that the gospel is real, that they've found life, they have found the path, and that it's blood. Real life made manifest. He's already written his gospel account, and, so, and that's been distributed to the churches, and so he's already written so people could believe in Jesus. But in 1 John, he's writing to remind and assure us of what he's already taught us, that we have found the gospel, we have found life. Look how he talks. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, he puts a break in there, kind of switches gears. The life was made manifest, we've seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Back. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. There's no periods, there's no exclamation points, he just keeps moving because he's so excited. He repeats himself over and over again. We've seen, we have heard, we have looked upon. Our eyes have seen, our hands have touched. He's telling you, I've, I've seen Jesus. I have walked with Jesus. He understands that the church he's writing to, not everyone had that privilege. Now, I've heard people say before, it would have been so much easier to believe in Jesus back then because you would have seen him. But even the believers right here in AD 100, they, they haven't seen. They weren't there. And John's going to know, I've seen the word of life, Jesus. I've seen him with my own eyes. I've looked at him. I've touched him with my hands. I have hugged him. He has hugged me. We have eaten meals together. Saying, I was at the Last Supper. I was at the crucifixion. I was at the empty tomb. In fact, in his gospel account, he makes it a point to point out that he reached the tomb first. He and Peter raced and he won. Uh, which again, what? You know, this, okay, John. But he says, I, I walked with Jesus. I talked with him after the resurrection. I saw him ascended. I shared meals with him. And he's giving these assurances probably because some have started to doubt. And because it's cost the church to follow Jesus. And when anything costs us, is this worth it? I love to go on road trips. But every road trip, there's at least five moments where you go, was this worth it? What was I thinking? run over something with your car and you're like, stop. <laughs> was this worth it? <laughs> Should have just flown. And then of course the next day you see this gorgeous sunrise and you're like, it was worth it. <laughs> but we fluctuate. The second something starts to cost us, aren't we questioning, right? If you were here the night I shared my testimony, 
I talked about how much the gospel has cost me and continues to cost me. That's true for a lot of us. Jesus says in Luke 14, carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And he warned us, following him is going to be costly. And as these churches are starting to experience that, they're starting to pay that price, John's writing to remind them, listen, this is life. This is real. This is real. This is true. Don't give up just because it's starting to get hard. Some of them have lost social standing. They've lost relationships. They've first persecution. And so this better be real. I can't tell you how many times I've said to the Lord, okay, okay Jesus, I'm trusting that you're every bit as good as you say you are, but you just got to be. I'm banking on it. And so John is writing to the church that has just banked on the goodness of Jesus, is counting on him to be as good as he says he is. And he's assuring the church, Jesus is the real deal. This gospel that we've believed in, it is flesh and blood true. He's saying, I was there. I saw it. I lived it. I saw him perform miracles. I saw the way he embraced people and brought them in. And then in, in his prologue, he introduces three ways in which this gospel bears fruit in our lives, in which the, the real truth of the gospel shows up for us. And the first is that because the gospel is real, we can find real life. Verse 2 says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Saying, Jesus, this life that we've received was here. It was real and flesh and blood. He's really calling back to a lot of promises that, that Jesus made about himself. He's referring kind of shorthanded to a concept the early church would know well from all their gospel accounts. And we can know well too by reading through those gospel accounts. Because the gospel of John is filled with promises of Jesus being life for us. I'm going to read through some of them. Don't feel any pressure to flip through because you probably won't be able to keep up. But uh, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is going, life. He promised. He said it. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In John 6, 35 to 36, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus made some pretty huge claims about himself. And John's assuring us this guy's the real deal. And because the gospel is real, we can life. We lived with him. We saw his miracles. We saw these things he said come true. And we're living it out today as his church. And I'm reminded that there are a lot of false promises out there. It feels like everyone is selling us something, right? And th the first thing any commercial tells you is that basically you're unhappy, and then when you buy their product, you will be happy. And they have these like, models, right? And so it's like, man, if I buy your razor, all of a sudden I'm going to be like 150 works, but I'll take that magic, right? <laughs> I'll shave my beard, and all of a sudden I've got abs, you know? It's, it, it works for me. That's the idea. Everyone's selling us something. Everyone's got promises. Everyone wants to jump on their bandwagon, get in with them. Now, if I say to you, the happiest place on earth, where am I talking about? Disney, right? Happiest place on earth, Disney. It's their slogan. I'm going to make some enemies today. I can't stand Disney World, okay? 
It's supposed to be the, the happiest place on earth, and that's a big promise. As a kid, we, we went a lot, and my, my poor parents, they, they thought it was the coolest thing to get to take me to Disney World. And looking back, I'm like, it was hot. It was hot, and you're standing in line all day, and if you don't want to stand in line, guess what you can do? You can pay them more money for a fast pass. So the, to me, the, it's the happiest place on earth for whoever's getting my money, right? Because you leave there with an empty wallet and sunburn and sore feet, right? It's, it, is, it is the happiest place on earth. That's what we're being sold. I was promised happiness. Now, now that I'm an adult and I pay my own expenses, Disney ain't happening, okay? I've looked up the ticket costs. We were, we were in Florida this past January, and we're kind of like, should we go to Disney? Nope, okay, no, we're good. The, the beach is free, we're all right, you know? But Disney, it sells you something. It's, you're going to be happy here. You're going to bring your whole family. Now, parents with kids, y'all ain't happy. Hopefully the kids are, but you're not happy, right? You're, and and the, the second they're unhappy, they're screaming, and you're even less happy, right? It's just, it's just spiraling. We're promised happiness. We're promised goodness. And so we, we can start to get defensive because everyone's selling us something. And so sometimes our approach to Jesus is, wait, But the thing is, Jesus isn't selling us anything. He's sacrificing to give. And because the gospel is real, we can find real life. That's such a rich comfort to me because while the whole world is trying to sell me something, Jesus is offering himself to me freely. He's giving me something I can't lose. The real life I need, it's not in Disney or in success or in relationships, because that's the other thing, right? Is then, okay, well, if I'm successful enough, whatever my definition of success is, working with students, and especially in our region, I don't know if you realize this, uh, our region is nationally ranked for anxiety levels. It's just up there. We're also ranked up there for other stuff too, like sports and education, but our anxiety levels are up there. Studies have been done on Randolph because our anxiety levels are so high compared to the rest of the country. But it's because if you just succeed enough, if you get into the right college and we we buy into this, oh, then we're going to be okay. Then we're going to be okay. And you get out of college and you realize your whole life you've worked for an A and at work no one comes over and gives you a gold star. You're like, wait a minute, how do I know if I'm, if I'm good enough now? How do I know if things are going all right? Because we've been sold, oh, success. Success will give you a life. Jesus is saying, no, no, it's, it's, it's free and it's found in me. I'll show you a life. John 6.53 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And today, we're going to take communion. As we take communion, we have a physical reminder of how flesh and blood real the gospel is. We have a physical reminder of the life we have found by the sacrifice of Jesus. We have this representation of of the life that Jesus offers for us freely, that it's cost him so much, and it just costs us our repentance, our confession that we need him. Because the gospel is real, we can find real life. But more than that, John goes on to say that because the gospel is real, we can find real fellowship. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is reminding the church to stay in fellowship with him, in connection with him, in relationship, in life sharing. And he's making it clear that real fellowship, real community, is found through Jesus. We will find throughout our time in the book of 1 John that loving others and loving God are inseparable. They go hand in hand. 
And there's a bit of a paradox there because it's because of the love of Jesus that we're able to love others well, but for many of us, it's through the love of others that we find the love of Jesus. That's certainly been true in my life. It is because people have loved me like Jesus that I have found the love of Jesus in my life. And by finding the love of Jesus, I then am able to love others like Jesus. There's an inseparable connection between loving the people around us and the love of our Father. He's saying, you want to belong someplace? It is through the fellowship we have with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Our belonging in the kingdom of heaven as sons and daughters has opened the doors for us to become brothers and sisters to one another, to shoulder burdens. And John is saying, we proclaim the gospel to you so you'll be part of our family. We're asking, stay committed to this family. I don't have to tell you that we're living in an age where we're more and more connected in theory and less and less connected in practice, right, in actuality. And people are desperate for real connection. I saw this lived out really well in a musical I watched recently. I love musicals, and I know that some of you were hoping that since Jeff's not up here, we'd get less sappy stories, right? I promise you no Hallmark ever. (laughs) None of it will ever cross my lips. I promise you. But you will get some sappy stories, so... But there's this beautiful musical, Dear Evan Hansen, and it's been pretty famous for a number of years, and I was finally able to go this past spring. And by the time I go, I've memorized most of the songs, and I have one song that particularly is my favorite. It's called For Forever, and it's a song about friendship. Right? And I love community, I love friendship. That's, that's just, you, you, you have a song featuring friendship in your musical, I'm buying tickets about it. But it's supposed to recount a day shared by two best friends in which they drive together, enjoy the sunshine, they climb a tree together. And now I I love to hike with my friends. I like to take long drives with my friends. I just took a road trip with my buddy in October. By the fifth day, we were no longer allowed to play four forever because I think I played it like multiple times every day because to me, it's like, this is what this song is, right? And it's a beautiful song until someone ruined it for me. They said, well, you know, it's, it's not real. I hadn't seen the musical yet, so I'm going, what are you talking about? It's this beautiful song about two friends. No, no, no. It's the story he makes up. So I go to see the musical, and For Forever is about what he wishes had happened, the friend he wished he had. It's a made-up story about a friend he doesn't have in a day that never happened that Evan Hansen tells because he's so desperate to belong someplace. It's him imagining what would it be like to have a friend, to have a friend that was there when I go through life. In the end of the song, he breaks his arm and his buddy rushes to to his aid and he's going, what would it be like to have a friend for when life is hard? So instead, I I, I broke my arm and no one came to my rescue. And so it, it was hard for me to enjoy the musical, watching it lived out and watching him tell this lie, sing this lie, and going, oh, he would just love some fellowship. And he tells this lie to buy his way into other relationships. And you start to see him build all these connections and have a sense of family for the first time in his life entirely built off of a lie he told. And my heart breaks at this because as I look around, I go, oh, so many of us think the only way to find real connection is to manufacture. Manufacture an image of ourselves to become what we think the people around us want and need that we can buy our way in. We approach church like this sometimes. I have to buy my way in. I've got to look good. In suburbia, we have a lot of concern with manicured lawns, right? The house is a mess inside, but people driving by, they never know. And if we're not careful, we bring that into the church. 
that we come in and everything's just got to look good so I can buy my way into some connection. We will do so much to belong and like Evan Hansen, we'll even compromise our values, compromise who we are and just beg our way in. It's worth noting that John is writing this letter from Ephesus and the Ephesian church had plenty of forces to divide it. We've been studying Ephesians in our high school boys Bible study and Paul is so concerned about church unity in his letter to the Ephesians because there's so much division. Largely, the Ephesian church was made up of different groups that prior to knowing Jesus hated each other. You've got Jews and Gentiles and different political groups all going to church together and it's rough. But John is writing from Ephesus, from that same area, in that same church experience, saying that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Knowing very well the forces that would divide his church, knowing very well the political tension they experience, knowing very well the diverse and racial tension they experience, knowing very well that a lot of those people showing up to read this letter together are uncomfortable being in the same room as each other. And he's saying, Jesus Christ is bringing us in. I asked our high school boys, what do we think divides our church today? Not specifically our church, but the church. And we talked about social status. Wealth divides people, right? We talked about ethnic background and bringing in so many different experiences divides people. They mentioned that people who sin differently than us we don't mind people who sin the same ways as just the people who sin differently than us. I thought that was really good. But the truth is that because the gospel is real, we can find real fellowship. I have a friend who likes to say that everything's level at the foot of the cross. We are all just level at the foot of the cross. All of us needy of Jesus. No matter what other categories we might fall into. No matter what groups we might belong to. No matter what nation and background we might belong to. That we all just are needy of Jesus. As we come in and receive him, we're brought in into fellowship. And because of the security of the cross, because Jesus invites us in as we are and offers his life for us, I don't have to present a false image of myself. Because Jesus has taken me as I am, and as a church, we are freed to present ourselves as we are in need of him, walking towards him together. At Hope, our vision is that we would be real people encountering a real God and taking real risks as we love God and others. And a big part of being real people is finding our security in the gospel so that we can step into the uncomfortable parts of our lives and each other's lives. That we don't have to worry about all the other division. I see this in my life so richly. I was born in Brazil, and I grew up in a totally different background. And, you know, coming home every day was almost like crossing the line into the Brazilian embassy. You know, I grow up in American culture all day, and then I come home and it's Brazilian culture. You know, lunch is pizza and hamburgers, and at home it's like we're eating steak and there's rice and beans, and it, and, but in even the values. And as a kid it was confusing because my friends valued all these things. I once said to my mom, as like, I think I was nine years old, I said something to my mom about privacy. And she looked at me and she goes, privacy's for Americans. <laughs> what I didn't realize at the time is that, that that's not a Brazilian value when you belong to a family. That's not how it works. First of all, the house is theirs. There's no privacy, but, but we belong together. And I thought, wow, what a weird thing. At the time, I didn't realize. I was just mad. You know, I was just mad. And now I look back and go, oh, yeah. 
there were these values warring inside of me. And so I bring my cultural experiences, my relationships, I experience tension all the time. It's just weird. I'm having to pick which of my values I show in different moments from being multicultural, right? And in this, I've become best friends with someone who could not be more opposite of a life experience from me, right? And so here I am, this immigrant kid who grew up in an inner city church, and the way I experience life and values is totally different from the way he does. And he, he's growing up in Sparta, going to a giant church in Mendham, and the first time I went to his house, <coughs> the thing I remember thinking is, his basement is bigger than my house. <coughs> Excuse me. And I felt, I had never been so aware of this gap I felt between us. Oh, he's, such a, he's living such a different life than I am. We have such different experiences. And I wasn't ashamed of the way I was raised at all. I just felt tension like, oh, we don't understand each other. We come from different sides of something. And then bring in our personalities and our tastes. We don't like any of the same stuff. Uh, I've been asked at least four times, how are you guys friends? Oh, I just want to choke him half the time. That's all right, right? But I've realized it, it's Jesus that brings us into fellowship, a mutual love of Jesus. We have a friend in common. It's Jesus. And so we found this connection and this trust for each other as we experience life really differently and as we wrestle through things really differently. And at times there's, there's tension because our values are so different. But more than anything, we value Jesus. And we know that we've been brought into his family, and so we, we belong together. We have fellowship because of Jesus. That all these other boundaries and barriers and awkwardness, it kind of goes away. And not on its own. You really have to work through it, right? But John says our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So come belong to that fellowship. And getting to live that out, despite the, some of the tension, despite some of the different experiences, it's been incredible. And finally, because the gospel is real, we can find real joy. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy is in Jesus and in joining him in his work. John is pretty clear. He already has joy. He's just letting his joy be completed. <coughs> it's being completed by joining God's work of teaching, the <coughs> excuse me, of teaching the church and helping them find it as well. At first, this struck me as odd because it's a big thing for us. We'd like to emphasize that all we need is Jesus. Like, that's where our joy is. That's where our life is. He is all we need. And so it strikes me as odd that John, John is saying, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. A part of me wants to call John a heretic, right? Like, your joy isn't complete in Jesus. What's wrong with you? And then I'm realizing that as John knows Jesus and becomes more like Jesus, he finds joy in doing the work of Jesus. We find joy in partnering with Jesus in his work. John's joy has begun in finding Jesus for himself. And he finds it complete when others in the church have the same assurance he's found. He finds it complete in experiencing it with his community when he's not letting others be led astray by false teachers. He's not sitting there going, I'm fine, I've got Jesus, I don't need y'all. He's going, no, 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 my joy will be complete when we find Jesus together, when we sit solid on this assurance. His joy is connected to this community and making sure his community is joining in the good news of the gospel and then also joining that work. We have to find truth together 
We have together define ourselves in the light of who God is. And it shows us compassion, sure, but more than that, it shows the heart of God. That our joy is in doing what God has set aside for us. That as we know him, we will find delight in the things he delights in. I mentioned Disney World earlier being the happiest place on earth, but when I think about, and this is, this is no knock against Disney World. If you love Disney World, more power to you, right? But when I think about the thought of going to a place away from my community just so I can be happy, it occurs to me that a much better sense of joy is showing up here in a, on a Sunday morning, seeking God's goodness for myself and for us together, and seeking each other's joy together. A lot of the way that we engage life says that I'm going to live life for my joy. But when we do that, it's us against the world. What John is pointing us to is this reality that as we live life to seek the glory of God and the joy of our community, there's all of a sudden a bunch of people fighting for my joy. I used to think I had to figure it out for myself. And, and more and more I see lately, when I'm fighting for the glory of the Lord and the goodness of the church, all of a sudden, the, the church fights for my good, too. And so instead of me having my back, there's countless people who have my back. And this is the goodness, the, the real joy that we find when we step into joining God in his work, that all of a sudden, we don't have this burden of having our own backs, but there's a community that has our back with us. As we close out today, we're confronted with a flesh and blood gospel. As we take communion today, we're going to be reminded of a Jesus who is real, who walked and spoke, and who reminds us of this real life he had to bring us into real fellowship, to free us into real joy, and to do that as a body. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus for the gospel that brings us in. The gospel that doesn't keep us out, doesn't drop boundaries from us, but offers itself to us. Isn't selling us something, but is giving itself sacrificially. Father, would you work in our hearts and confront us with the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name.